over the weekend, I was reading the Washington Post, and there was a particular article that caught my attention. Uh, what it basically said was that Earth passed a feared global warming milestone. Uh, that was on Friday, especially Friday. Um, the, it was the first day global warmth crossed a threshold, uh, only briefly, but one that climate scientists have warned could have uh, a huge impact uh, on our planet. Preliminary data shows that global temperature averaged more than 2 degrees Celsius above a historic norm from the time before humans started consuming fossil fuels and emitting uh, emitting uh, greenhouse gases. Now, this uh, that does not mean efforts to limit global warming have failed completely, but it does say just for a moment we surpassed that two-degree benchmark. And, of course, it has to surpass that two-degree benchmark for months and years at a time before science scientists consider it breached, but the fact that we hit two degrees on Friday was an important moment. It is a striking reminder that the climate uh, is moving into uncharted territory. Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, what transpired on Friday, but also the broader conversation around climate change, we're joined now by Andrew Weaver. He's a professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria and a former leader of the BC Green Party. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Jazz. Always a pleasure. Uh, your thoughts, first and foremost, on this article and uh, what uh, occurred on Friday? Yeah, with the um, European Union, uh, Copernicus, this was basically their um, uh, European Union Science Organization for Meteorology, announced that the global average temperature broke two degrees uh, for the first time. And, uh, you know, this number has embedded, embodied, embedded itself in people's minds as a number we've been trying to avoid as a maximum amount under Paris Agreement and things like that. Now, of course, this is a one day, mm-hmm. but, but what we also know is that July 2023 was the warmest year in history uh, since recordings have been happening. August 2023, warmest year since we've been recording data. September 2023, sorry, warmest month. Mm-hmm. September, warmest month. October 2023, warmest month since we've been recording data. And it would basically require uh, a miracle for us not to set a new record this year as 2023 being the warmest year in the historical record. Uh, so, you know, as we, as people continue on with their daily activities, the climate system is continuing to respond to con- ongoing and past emissions and will continue to get much, much warmer. And it really is striking to see the, the kind of gutter dialogue that we're seeing at, uh, in our, at the political level about what we're going to do about here in Canada, while the rest of the world is actually moving forward with, with, with uh, aggressive policies. Um, we start to see now at the national scene in Canada the kind of gutter, gutter pendulum politics coming out. Um, while meanwhile the U.S. is moving forward, U.K.'s emissions are more than 45 percent below 1990 levels. Canada, 21 percent above, and looking like all the good work that's been done, putting bringing together the recent climate plan, is is may go by the wayside. The announcement made by Prime Minister Trudeau in regards to giving folks in Atlantic Canada a break does speak to, however, the ability, the inability of some folks uh, to 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 pay the bills. I mean, sometimes policy can't get ahead; it shouldn't get ahead of people and affordability uh, and making a living and getting ahead uh, a little bit. Do you think uh, that was still a mistake? Even though some would argue, look, it's hitting people in the pocketbook. You got to be cognizant of that. Do you think that was a mistake on Mr. Trudeau's part? Absolutely, it was a mistake. You, um, uh, and it was the biggest mistake was um, introducing the policy, which took blindsided everyone, came out of nowhere, and no one understood the rationale for. Uh, I mean, you can go into the details and realize that there's a lot of people in, in Eastern Canada still using heating oil, but 
That's not actually the way to move forward. The reason why you put a price on emissions is to actually send a signal to the market to incentivize the transition to low-carbon emitting systems. The way you deal with the, 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 the heating oil or the average person not being able to make ends meet is through the dividend you get. Like, this is what happened with the, under Gordon Campbell initially. It was, it was world-leading. Um, back in 2008, 2009, where we introduced in BC long before the federal government did, under the BC Liberal government, a carbon price that increased with time. The money came in, and as it came in, income tax uh, were reduced, uh, and a dividend check went out. And so, you know, the NDP government have decided that more, which is appropriate, that rather than lowering the income taxes, maybe we'll give a bigger dividend check, and, and the same federally. So, so the way you deal with this is in, in this fee and dividend system is you keep the tax in place, but you give people on a, a, a back money that comes in from the tax. And that actually means that the average person will be way ahead of the game, but the, and, the, and, and whereas those who don't want to do anything will pay more. So what that says, for example, is if you want to go and buy a, you know, a gas-guzzling Maserati, we're not going to you know, take the big stick approach and say no, but we're going to say you have a, there's a pollution cost associated with that. So you're going to pay a bit more with the gas. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to you know, buy, ride your bike or buy an EV, and we don't have to go down the economics of that, you're not going to pay the carbon tax. But we're going to bring in money from the carbon tax, and we're going to give it back to you because uh, we're not going to shock this, the economy. We're not going to uh, you know, take the money in and just you know, build our favorite dreams to ourselves. We're going to give it back to you through a dividend that's income tested. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you protect low-income people by giving back the dividend, and those people who typically are wealthy or paying more tax are, are, are not getting the dividend back. So it's good, fisc- frankly, it's good fiscal conservative policy. And to see the cynicism embodied in Mr. Polyev, who literally has no ideas on the climate file, literally uh, all his campaign is axe the tax. Well, maybe he should be talking to the BC NDP about how that played out for them in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reason why the BC Liberals won an election that no one expected them to win. So uh, moving forward, though, Mr. Polyev's politics is having an impact. He's doing very well in the polls. And it's interesting, as you say, the NDP at that time in 2008 said they were going to axe yep. the tax. They lost the election. Now they're defending the carbon tax. Yet Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC United, former BC Liberals, sat in, 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 in this studio with me and he he says if Mr. Polyev axes the tax on a federal level, he, if elected, would axe the tax provincially. That's how much things have turned and gone upside down in regards to politics. Do you worry, though, that, that, that we've hit a wall that, that in regards to putting – I understand putting a price on carbon, and, and, and I would argue that's the right way to go. But do you think somewhere along the way you've hit the wall of politics and saying, look, the, the, the average person is not buying it anymore. It isn't changing behavior. And, no, and, and, what, what, we, what the wall we've hit, Jazz, is not – the politics. It's the cynical, self-interested politicians who actually don't care about governing for the collective. They mm-hmm. care about sound bites and messages that they can anger their base uh, to get them riled up so that they can get in power. They actually don't have any ideas. They just say what they're doing we don't like. And frankly, I have never in my life voted for anyone who says, Vote for me because I don't like them, because you don't know what they're going to do. And on the climate file, I can say for the first time in Canadian history, Canada has now reclaimed leadership on the global warming file 
through the introduction of their Clean Canada plan, which mirrored what we did in BC, which BC is also highly regarded, and they received a, you know, an award from from what well, we received in BC, an award from the COP, and other awards for that. These are plans that have been well tested, that are actually drivers of prosperity in the economy by recognizing that leaders in the innovation to deal with this challenge, like we can all stick our heads in the ground and pretend global warming is not happening. The rest of the world is moving on, recognizing that every environmental challenge could be seen through the lens of the opportunity it creates for innovation and prosperity as you try to address that challenge. We just like take a Trumpian view that, oh, uh, what are we going to do? Nothing. So let's continue to do more of the same while people transition and then we'll be sell- selling our stuff to nobody because nobody wants it. So it's, it's actually reckless fiscal policy. It's reckless long-term planning. It's not good public policy. It's not actually aiming to help any any people. It's all about cynical politicians with no ideas, seeing how they can anger their base so that you vote them in so they can literally do more of the same. That is nothing that they have done. And that is true with Kevin Falcon's uh, opposition right now. Zero ideas on climate and Pierre Polyev, zero ideas on climate. And frankly, just have to look at last summer and ask the average Canadian about forest fires to know that they and 80 percent of Canadians they want government to take action. So, frankly, I think Mr. Polyev has peaked far too early. I think he's going to have a come up and, up and, and that Canadians will see that the federal conservative party for what it is. It's an irresponsible party that has no ideas on the climate file, that all they're really trying to do is scare you uh, so that you vote for them so that they can get in power, so that they can represent their interests and not our collective interest. Based on what Very Justin... strong t- language, I know, but, I, <laughs> but it's, you know, I've, I've seen this all before, Jazz. We went through this in 2009 with the NDP, and it angered uh, the British Columbians uh, in, uh, 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 very much so because of the cynicism embodied in that approach. Yeah. And Mr. Polyev will pay for this. But do you think, uh, Justin Trudeau, um, who you endorsed, I believe you were actually out in Richmond, you came out to one of his yeah. events, I recall, in the last election campaign. Yeah. Would you do the same again based on what he did, in, uh, based on his announcement in eastern Canada? So the, the plan that exists in Canada is still far-reaching. It's economy-wide. It's mm-hmm. progressive in terms of its, its, its thought about various things. It's involving not just the oil and gas sector. It's involving active transportation, electrification of public transit. It's involved in, like we've seen announcement after announcement of, rec- of recognition, that there's a strategic plan, there's a strategic uh, pr- approach to capitalizing on, on the opportunities there. We had an announcement in B.C., of a new battery facility with Trudeau and, and Adrian Dix. They've had a couple in Ontario. This is the future. Mm-hmm. Canada and the U.S. And the U.S. actually are, I mean, Joe Biden is, is, is a, bit of a, a bit of a superstar in terms of messaging. You know, the U.S. doesn't actually have a plan called a climate plan. They have something called the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's be clear. It's a climate plan. It's very similar to Canada's Clean, Clean Canada plan or BC's Clean BC plan. It's one that recognizes you focus on prosperity being local. You focus on, 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 on recognizing that we have in North America every critical mineral you want. There are ways to get access to those minerals in more sustainable ways that actually save corporations doing it money in partnership with indigenous communities in rural areas, which allows economic reconciliation for indigenous communities as well. I mean, there's a win, 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 win potential here. If you have politicians, decision makers, able to think outside of the box for the collective instead of for their own cynical political ambition to gain power. And that's what, you know, Dejaz, I spent seven and a half years in the legislature. That's the thing that sickened me most about politics 
is that you're not one of those people. You were there with me. Mm-hmm. Is people who do it for themselves, not for the collective. And there's far too many of them in yeah. politics. And I think that's why we're seeing this reaction. Here. That I would definitely agree with. I'm into that. Andrew, as always, <laughs> thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Always love your show, Jess. Thanks for having me. All right.